0: We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's. This is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, Son of the living God, versus Barabbas the thug and rebel. He says, All right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is this is gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner. A man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus? What has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free? Open blind eyes, open deaf ears Heal the lame and the leper What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas Yeah Give us Barabbas but I love Barabbas. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas. Even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves him. And the nerve, the call, the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage I'm going to work hard to get myself out What? that's the opposite of the gospel are you bound are you held under the power of this temptation this sin, do you feel like it's controlling you, what are you going to do I'm going to shake myself free, stop it no you won't, you're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, Yes let him have Barabbas take me how many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say no, no I deserve this I deserve the guilt I deserve the shame I deserve the consequence I deserve it Jesus seems to look at me say no son Let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No. shame, give me your shame but God what if I do it again I'll still be here oh God I don't want to hurt you I love you, I I don't want to do this anymore, give me your sins this is all we got it's all I got, it's all you got so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. When I give him my sin, when I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking. The post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, Go, son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free? It's still Jesus, it'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus if his blood is sufficient for your salvation. His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough.
1: We've entitled the message this morning, Jesus is enough. Hallelujah. He is enough. And so the scripture says some things about Barabbas. In Matthew 27:16, uh, we read that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. In John 18:40, we read that Barabbas was a thief, a robber. He was a thug. We read in Acts 3.14 that Barabbas was a murderer. This is what we know, a composite sketch of Barabbas. He was a rebel. He was a political prisoner. He was a zealot. He was involved in the insurrection, hoping to rally Israel, to rebel against Rome, to come away from their oppressive ways over them, and to release Israel to be their own nation. So in that setting there were riots there were there was uh, uh there was murder there was death there were schemes there were fights there were plots there were secret meetings finally Barabbas was captured and put into prison and he's awaiting trial and probably awaiting death at this point So here we we have a picture of a conflict between Jesus and Barabbas You know the story Jesus preached that he was a king he was a king of the Jews but his kingdom was not here, his kingdom was there. And he, he said that he was the way, he was the way, the only way to get to that kingdom. Barabbas, however, was fighting for a different kingdom here on earth to be free of the oppression and repression control of Rome over Israel. And they both stand accused and both stand sentenced before Pilate. Barabbas and Jesus. What a contrast and personality, and belief, and position. And then we have, we have the story of Pilate mixed in there. Pilate was the Roman governor at the time over Judea. And as was the custom during the Passover season, which it was, they said, well, in order to try to appease the, the Jews, we'll release a prisoner... During this season to kind of give him a little bit, uh, a little bit of peace, a little bit of a reason to have to find favor with Rome. And so he, he brings this story before the people. And, and in the meantime, Pilate's wife, if you know the story, his wife was having dreams about Jesus. And she told Pilate, her husband, she said, listen, have nothing to do with this man. He's a just man. He's a good man. Leave him alone. And Pilate's in total conflict about what to do. And he decides, well, I'm going to, I'm going to wash my hands of this, but I'm going to bring the the problem to the people. Maybe thinking the people would choose the better one to release. But when he presented the case, he said, who do you want? Barabbas, the murderer, the rebel, the zealot? Or do you want Jesus, the so-called king of the Jews, who preached truth and righteousness and healed the sick and delivered the oppressed. Who do you want? And the people cried out like with one voice, we want Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And he said, what about Jesus? And they said, crucify him. And to make matters worse, just five days before this, this day, five days before we read in the scripture that as Jesus came into town that day, riding on the donkey, the multitudes were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means Lord, save us. So here they are on a Sunday on the first day of the week, praising Jesus and honoring him, welcoming him into the city. And five days later, they're realizing his kingdom, we want a kingdom now. We don't want to wait till later, and they're saying, "We reject him, crucify him and give us Barabbas." And so this conflict between good and bad and life and death and a kingdom here and a kingdom there, and spirit and flesh and light and dark, it continues to this day. And here's the thing: decisions must be made. Who will we choose? Who will we follow? Who will we identify with? Now over in John's Gospel, if you want to turn there with me, this whole concept is presented pretty well in John's Gospel chapter 1. For he says, I'm going to paraphrase verses 4 through 13, he says that in Jesus is, is light and life. In Jesus, the, the light shines in the darkness. But he says that the darkness did not comprehend the light. So God sent a witness. You know, in a court of law, I don't know if anyone's ever been in a, in a court of law. I uh, hope you haven't been on the, on the stand. But anyway, but you, you may understand, sometimes a lawyer will call a witness to come to speak on behalf of the person being charged. And a witness will vouch for them, give a good word and stand up for them, tell something positive about them. Well, in this case, God in His infinite wisdom brought forth a witness for Jesus. And the witness's name was John the Baptist. Not John who wrote this. This is John the Apostle. But John the Baptist stood up as a witness for Jesus. And he said things like, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said things like, It's not proper for me to even untie his sandals. He he said things like, He must increase. I must decrease. But he, Jesus, must increase. And he said that, I baptize with water, but He'll baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so, but the world, it says in John chapter 1, the world did not understand this. The light was rejected. And even by Jesus' own people, He was rejected. Now, we all have our own people, you know, our family, our friends, our little community that we come from. Like, you know, I have my people, you have your people, you know. Well, Jesus had His people, and His own people rejected Him. And so it says then in, in verse number 12, John chapter 1, verse 12, the Lord says, but as many, whoever would receive this Jesus, Jew or Gentile, whoever it is, enemy or friend, good or bad, whatever, anybody, anyone who would receive Jesus, God has given them the right to be called a child of God, because now they're not born of flesh and blood, but they're born of the spirit of God. And so the invitation is open for anyone to receive Christ. Now we know from John three sixteen and 17 that God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Great gift of God to the world, Jesus. But in verse 19 of John chapter 3, it says this. This is the problem. This is the condemnation. This is, this is what we're up against. Because the light came into the world. The light was rejected by the world. People chose darkness over light because if they chose light, their deeds would be exposed. And thus we live in this situation where there's conflict between Barabbas and Jesus, light and dark. But let me give you a news flash right here. Guess what? Without a Savior in our lives, every one of us is Barabbas. We're all Barabbas. We're all standing there condemned to die and live in eternity in darkness without a Savior. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, I first read that many years ago. I was really astounded by the word all. Because I thought that some people were kind of exempt from this this penalty, because the wages of sin is death, it says in Romans 6.23. But all have sinned. And someone might say, you mean, uh, I, I thought, I thought the, the bad people were in jail, or they had addictions, or they had all these problems. They were foul-mouthed, or they were bad people. But can I tell you something? Every sinner is not in prison. Every sinner is not addicted. Every sinner does not have a bad mouth. And every sinner is not pugnacious and obnoxious. Even good people are sinners. Even kind people are sinners. Let me tell you this true story. I call it, I call it the parable of two brothers. It's a true story. It's not. I, I, was, I witnessed this myself. I was at a... Evangelistic meeting some years ago uh, in my hometown of Port Chester, New York, and there was a, uh, a revival meeting in a parking lot of the, the Port Chester Marina, where the water was. And the speaker uh, had two brothers uh, on the on the agenda to give their testimony before he spoke. And one brother came up there to give his testimony, and it was he had a great testimony. This guy was. He looked like a bruiser. He he looked like he was a tough guy. He said, I I used to drink. I used to fight. I would fight at the drop of a hat. Someone looked at me the wrong way. I'd get into a fight with them. I was doing bad things, dealing drugs. I was just a bad person. I had a bad attitude. I had the proverbial chip on my shoulder. Everyone's, you know. And then he says, but one day, you know, Jesus, Jesus spoke to my heart. Someone told me about Jesus. Jesus enlightened me. And I surrendered my life to the Lord, and I became born again. Oh, the place erupted in applause. It was wonderful. Fanfare, It it was great. It was wonderful. And then his brother came up. And the first thing his brother said was, My testimony is absolutely nothing like my brother's. I never fought with anybody. I've never had a chip on my shoulder. In fact, people tell me I'm a pretty good guy. I have a good job. I I went to school. I didn't give my parents any trouble. I never used bad language. But one day, someone shared the gospel with me, and I was convicted in my heart that I too needed a Savior. And I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm born again now. You see, it's, it's not what we do. It's not what we've done. It's not that. It's who we are. We're all, we're all condemned because of who we are on the inside. And it it tells us, the scripture tells us, like in Romans chapter five, I'll just paraphrase this, that through one man's sin, all are condemned. But through one man's righteous act, all are made righteous. And so, yeah, we're all Barabbas. We're all destined to die. We're all destined for trouble, destined to fight the wrong battle. Barabbas was fighting the wrong battle. But I want to tell you that Jesus is enough. He is enough. And so here's Barabbas. Here's Jesus. Who do you want? Who do you identify with? Give us Barabbas. What about Jesus? Crucify him. And so Jesus now, at this point in the story, bloodied, beaten already, whipped, wearing a purple robe, being mocked with a crown of thorns on his head. And Barabbas, the chains were released, and he he gets up and he walks away. And Jesus is standing there, and he walks toward Calvary to take up the cross. So this this bad man, this zealot, this thug is set free. And Jesus walks to Calvary. He walks away free. This is reiterated throughout the rest of the gospel and the rest of the epistles in the New Testament. For Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. People tell me often, I want to wait till I give my heart to the Lord, till I got things straightened out. And I say, man, you're never going to get things straightened out. What do you mean straightened out? God loves you in your sin. He loves you in spite of your sin. He loves you in spite of yourself. That's God's nature. He loves us enough to send Jesus, his son, to the cross to die for us. So Jesus is enough to take us off the hook, to let us walk. He takes the punishment for our sin, and he stands there broken while we walk away free. Now, in the gospel, we learn that Jesus came to bear our sin. He came to pay the price for our sin. He came to do what we couldn't do. He came to give his life as a ransom that we will no longer be doomed to an eternity of damnation and hellfire. And I wonder, just because I'm a curious person, whatever happened to old Barabbas? You know, unfortunately, we don't know what happened to Barabbas. There's no other follow-up in the epistles. I would love to think that as he walked away, as he realized the the unfolding of events, he must have known something about the culture and and what Jesus stood for. And when Jesus died later that day, you know, the earthquake and things happened. And I hope that maybe he was convicted of his sin. Maybe he gave his life to the Lord. We don't know that for sure. But Jesus came to set the captive free. I, I equate Barabbas with maybe like almost like a Peter. Like he could be like a Peter if he gave his heart to the Lord. Because Peter was also a tough guy. But Barabbas was a really tough, bad guy. But if Jesus got a hold of his heart and he yielded to Jesus, he could have turned his life around to be a great witness for the Lord. So I want to I turn now to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to camp out here for just a little bit. And I want to preach the main part of the message from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. And the topic is, Jesus is enough. I'm going to try to explain from the scriptures what he's enough for. Because you might be thinking, well, what is he enough for? Just to get me out of a jam? See, some people think that. I used to think that. In fact, one time I was in trouble. I remember I was in trouble uh, before I was saved. And I remember uh, excusing myself from this room where I was. And I went into a restroom, and I got on my knees. I said, God, you got to help me with this one. And, you know, it's just a little tidbit. I I find myself often in a restroom before a service praying, Lord God, you have to help me with this service today. It's a habit of mine, actually. But in Colossians chapter 2, we see three things That Jesus came to do and Jesus is enough for us the first thing is that Jesus is enough to save us to save us verses uh, 6 and 7 Colossians 2 6 and 7 it says as you therefore have received Christ there's that word receive again receive Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving You see, salvation is a life-changing event. It's not just you do it when you're desperate, and then you forget about it. No, it's a life-changing event. Reiterating John 1.12, as many as would receive him, he's given them the right to be called a child of God. See, it's more than believing in him. James chapter 2 tells us even demons believe in Jesus. Of course they do. They know the spiritual world. They know Jesus. They know He died and was resurrected from the dead too. They know that He's coming back again. And demons believe in Jesus, but they're certainly not saved. So believing is good, but it's not enough. It says in Colossians 2.6, As you receive Christ, so walk in Him. We're talking about receiving, not just believing. Receiving and walking in Him. He's enough to save us. He's enough to deliver us. If we would just yield to His presence... So then we we read in verses uh well verse seven it says rooted and built up and established. Can I tell you something? Your money won't save you, your education won't save you. And I'm I'm not opposed to money and education. I'm not opposed to successes and doing things. I'm all for that, but it won't save you. You, you. you may think, well, if I only do this, you know, I'll, I'll be all right. No, you'll be alright in this life, perhaps, but you won't be saved. So, see, we're talking about believing and walking in Christ. We're talking about a radical salvation. But you know what? Just think, if Barabbas gave his heart to the Lord, would that not be a radical salvation? But we're all Barabbas! in different degrees, but we're all Barabbas. So when we surrender to the Lord, it's not just like, okay, Jesus, I believe in you. You know, okay, bless me now. No, I believe in you, and I'm going to walk in you. I receive you. I walk with you every single day. That's what salvation is. And I, I'm, I'm at this place where I, I'm convinced that uh, that Christian people are the most uh, mature and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, most... Um, Put together people on the face of the earth. Why? Because we're so good? No. But because we have a Savior that leads us along the path. And I know we're all a work in progress. But as a saved person, we're saved, we got saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved, you know? And as we're being saved and walking it out, we're the most blessed people on the planet. Because we know who our Lord and Savior is. And then verse number seven, it says, you know, as you're as you receive him, as you're walking with him, you're rooted, you're grounded, you're built up, right? You're established in the faith and you're abounding in the faith with thanksgiving. What a way to live, man. What a way to live. I'm grounded. I'm rooted. I'm established. I'm abounding in this with thanksgiving in my heart. So, yeah, Jesus is enough for salvation." We are Barabbas, and Jesus came to rescue us. I knew a young man many years ago that tried his best to live a godly life, a good life. He tried everything to be happy, to be successful. He tried everything to succeed. He even went to college, tried to make his parents happy. He ended up being beaten down by the world. Being kicked out of college, cut from the basketball team. All the rock bands he was in failed. All the relationships failed. Turned to booze and drugs and immorality. He even tried not doing those things to find a connection with something bigger than himself. Ended up with a year's probation and a broken heart until somebody said, Rick, man you got to get right with Jesus. My friend Lenny, thank God for my friend Lenny. He told me there's a better way to live. And I can tell you right now, salvation has come to my house. Uh, Salvation has come to my house. And I don't need to tell anybody. I'm not perfect. I don't need to tell you that. But, uh, But God is in my heart. God is with me. He is enough to save me. Yes, I went to the reunions two weeks ago. I'm still talking about it. But there I was, man. I didn't know what, what people were going to say. You know what you know what people said? My friend Vinny, he said, Rick, you know what? I'm proud of you. I said, thank you, Vinny. <laughs> he said, you know, you really you, you suck it out. You did, made something of yourself. I said, well, praise God. You know what I mean? But I know I'm a saved person. And, I, and the Lord could take me anywhere. I'm not afraid anymore. I could go anywhere now. But Jesus is enough to save your life. Secondly, is this Jesus is enough to complete you. Look at verse number 8, eight 9, and 10. After the salvation part, 6 and 7, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you. This is what happens. We get saved or we hear the gospel and hallelujah, we're happy. And all of a sudden we hear the, what does it say? The philosophy of the world, the empty deceit, the ways, the principality of, the principles of the worldly way that will try to trip us up. And, and, and see, the philosophy of the world will never save us or never make us feel complete. You might be thinking, you know, or you may have heard this like I've heard this all my life. One more drink. One more night out, one more sexual conquest, one more thing to accomplish, one more course to take. Uh, If I only get that one job, if I only marry the right person, if I only live in the right place, if I only do this or do that, and if I can only keep up with the Joneses. But all the philosophies of the world and every culture and every nationality has it. And let me let me tell you this. It's not a white thing or a black thing or a brown thing. It's not an Italian thing. I've had people, that, I can't do it. I can't be like that. I'm Italian. And I say, what are you talking about? And someone says, I'm Dominican. Well, I'm Puerto Rican. All right. I'm Af- African-American. I'm Kenyan. Whatever. It's all the same problem. I've had people... I, And Scottish as well, Sandy. I don't want to leave out the Scots, you know what I mean? But, you know, I've had people tell me it's the way my culture is. And I say, welcome to humanity. Because it's all the same. It comes out a little different way, but it's all the same. The philosophy of the world will never make us complete. Look at, so, so avoid the, these things, right? The, the philosophy, empty deceit. For in Christ, verse number 9, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. In Jesus is all the fullness of God. And now God is in my heart. Guess what that does to me? Verse number 10, it makes me complete in Him who's the head of all principality and power. I can stand complete in Him, because Jesus is in me. The finished work of Calvary is now at work in my life, and I am complete. Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7 it says, a paraphrase, because you're now sons of God, God has sent His Spirit into your hearts by which you can now cry out, Abba, Father. That's That's what was missing before. I could never say, Abba, Father. I'd cry out, oh God. You know, like, where are you? But now I cry out, oh God, you're my Father. We have relationship, hallelujah. And in that relationship, I stand complete in Him. He says, you're no longer slaves, to sin, the flesh, to the world, to the philosophy of the world. You've been released from that. You've broken free from that to be a child of the King of Kings. And if a son, it says, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. So Jesus in Colossians 2.10, He is enough to make us complete. And as Christ is working in us, I'm telling you, Christian people, we have the most on the ball than anybody. And we're all a work in progress. We never, none of us have arrived yet, but we're on the way. And because we're on the way, we have a lot on the ball. We're complete in Christ Jesus. Amen. The third reason is this. Jesus is enough. Verses 11 and 12. Verse number 12 says, see where it says it right there? You also were raised with him through faith. Yeah, verse 11 says, We've been circumcised, not with the circumcision with hands. Like in the Old Testament, the believer, the men would be circumcised to to demonstrate they were God's people. Their flesh was cut to be symbolic of sin being cut away from their lives. For it says in verse number 11, it says, You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What that means is that when Christ went to the cross... He took the sin of the world upon himself. His flesh was beaten and destroyed and cut. And when that happened, he, he took that sin of, of flesh upon himself. And when we receive that, we receive the circumcision of the flesh. We we're made clean. We we're cut away from the sinful life because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then it's verse number 12, it says, We've been buried with Him through baptism. We're raised together by faith as God raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2, great chapter, says, We who were once dead in our sins, God has made alive. And now we sit in heavenly places, uh, really awaiting for the Lord's return. But, you know, you ever hear the saying, well, life begins at 40? Or, after you hit 40, they say, life begins at 50. After you hit 50, they say, well, life begins sometimes after 50. But no, no, no. Life begins when you get saved. That's when life really begins. And the earlier, the better. But you know what? You gotta take it when it lands. I was I was 26 when I got saved, and uh, you know over the years I would share that story and I'd say, man, I always wish I was younger when I got saved. And someone said, well, you know what? Thank God you got saved when you got saved. I said, oh man, I do. Believe me, I do. I just wish it was 10 years early. It would have saved me a lot of a lot of heartache. But anyway it is what it is and wherever we are that's when that's when life begins i can tell you my life began when i got saved absolutely you know what god did for me after he saved me the next thing he did for me he gave me that young lady for my wife that's that's a second blessing in my life right there in fact I can't talk about getting saved without talking about what God did for me, what He did for me. He, saved, he forgave me of my sins, but He gave me a wife like six weeks after that. And I'll, I'll always be grateful for that. Always be grateful for that. It's part of my story. It's part of my, my thing. So, so Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to save us, to complete us, and to raise us up. Listen, that reunion, people looked at me and they said... You're in the ministry? I said, yeah, I'm in the ministry. One girl, one lady said, you must have had some life. I read your bio. I said, yeah, I've had some life and it's not over yet, you know. Yeah, yeah. He raises us up to do great things for the kingdom of God. Hey, Jesus, I brag about you all the time. Well, one of my classmates, they've asked me about my church. I told them about you. He said, I might make a contribution. I said, I'll send you some info. I sent it last night. But yeah, God will raise us up, man. He'll raise us up to do great things for the kingdom of God. So he saves us, he he completes us and he raises us up and he sends us out. So here we are. We have Barabbas, we have Jesus. That's Jesus, that's Barabbas, right? No, that's Jesus, that's Barabbas. I can't see from behind. (laughs) I thought I I had it. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. I would love to know that he gave his heart to Jesus. I, I would love to, I don't know how we can, but... I think of Peter. I make the analogy with Barabbas and Peter. When Peter denied the Lord three times, we find out later in the story, I picture him in a stairwell somewhere in the rain, in the dark, crying his eyes out, repenting before God, saying he was so sorry for doing that. I hope that that's his story, Barabbas. I hope that he came to a place where he recognized, Jesus set me free. I've got to receive him and live for him now. But we don't know. But what we do know is what's going to happen to us. What's going to happen to you? See, now that you've heard all this, you've got to make a decision. And by not making a decision, you're making a decision. In other words, you're, between, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to bring a friend Sunday? Well, you see, this is, this is the gospel. This is it. You know, I, I, always, I always think, man, I wish I knew this when I was young, like really young. It could have saved me a lot of heartache. I'm just kind of selfish like that. But but it would have saved me a lot of problems in my life if I knew this before. Amen. But here we are. We have to make a decision. If, if we, So either we accept Christ and what he did, or we reject Christ. Either we believe it or we don't believe it. Or we might believe it but not accept it. But if we don't accept it, we're rejecting him. Either we're in or we're out. We're, 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 we're with the Lord or, or we're not with the Lord. There's no in-between. So I want to close out the service just by, by reiterating these three points and closing with the scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. And then I want to ask you, whoever is here today, if you're ready to make a decision for Christ. Because here's the thing. Jesus always looks for a reaction. Don't you know? you know that he always looks for a reaction as in Zacchaeus come down from the tree as in who's that that touched me with the hem of my garment you know he's always looking one wants to know what's going on so Jesus is enough in fact we're so sold out on this concept that we pour money into our missions department to take this message all over the world A small church like ours, $25,000, $30,000 a year goes to our missionaries to share the same gospel. And do you know in other countries of the world, there are multitudes flocking to hear this and to receive this. There's revival happening in many countries. Other countries like in Europe, northern Europe, very cold towards the gospel. Although there's remnants of revival happening. But we take this message all over the world. This is what we do. We believe this. In fact, the early church died for this. They died for this message. Some people today die for their faith. We may take a little ridicule here and there, but we're blessed to live in America. We're, you know, we don't really suffer that much for it, but we might get some uh, dirty looks or bad comments. But uh, really, we don't suffer too much. But people do die for their faith. So let me tell you without any hesitation, Jesus Christ is enough to save you. You don't need anybody else or anything else. Jesus is the Savior. But He puts it out there for you to either take or reject. Jesus is enough to complete you in Him. You know, that, that's a loaded statement right there. What, what I'm talking about, let's say, let's say the, the, uh, the after effects of sin. Okay? So yeah, God forgives us of our sin, right? Hallelujah. But there's after effects of sin, like the consequences of sin, the the heartache, the mental anguish, the things we have to repair as much as we can because of our sinful lifestyle. God helps us be complete to work out all those things we have to work out. It's deep. And God, Jesus is enough to now raise us up to be a new creation, to be somebody different than we used to be, give us a purpose and a, you know, give us value, and sends us on a mission to be a light for Him. So Ephesians 2 says this, 8 through 10, by grace you've been saved through faith. God's grace, your faith. That not of yourselves, It's a gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You know, you can't do something to get it. It's not of works. It's a gift, lest anyone would boast. For we are God's workmanship. I can't get away from that word, workmanship. We are God's poem being written. We are God's story being told. We are God's painting being etched on the canvas. We're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why I'm so happy for Peter, because something was unlocked in his heart to do good things for the kingdom of God. Instead of being rough and tough and always speaking out of turn and denying the Lord, he was a changed man. That's why I hope Barabbas came to that place, returned his life around. He wasn't made for that. He was made to live for God. And so are we. We're made to live for God. This is one of the great mysteries in my life that I, I realize what it is now, but I, at the time I wondered, why was I always so unhappy? Why was I never really fulfilled in my life? I, I did some good things, had a good family, but there was always something in the back of my mind saying, man, something's not right, because I wasn't made for that. God had a different thing for me to do. And and God has something for you to do. We're created, you know, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yeah, we should walk in them. It's not just believing, it's walking, it's receiving and walking in Him. Come Come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and make me a new creation. Lord God, right now, I choose light over dark. I choose life over death. I choose Christ over any philosophy in this world. And Lord God, today I give you my word. With your help, I will live a godly life. From this day forward, so long as you help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.